Hi guys and welcome back to the PE Podcast. Please give us a like, follow or subscribe on social media. I'm joined today by a childhood hero of myself. I believe he's most famous for scoring the penalty that got Birmingham promoted to the Premier League back in 2002. He's going to join us today to talk about his career, his journey through academy football, um, overcoming some very difficult challenges, the transition he's currently taking from playing into coaching, and what it takes to succeed in elite sport as a player, a coach, a manager, a physiotherapist, a sports nutritionist, a referee, and so on. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Right, guys, welcome back to the PE Podcast. I'm delighted to have joined us today Darren Carter, former Birmingham City and West Bromwich Albion footballer, currently at Solly or Moor. So a few of you I know have season tickets, so you may see him down there. Um, I'm going to let him introduce himself, talk about his career, and then we'll go on from there. Yeah, thank you, first of all, for having me, James. And um, yeah, hello to everybody. Um, really, you know, privileged to be able to come on and speak to you and um, sort of give you a little insight into to my career, obviously my pathway from when I was uh, in school and uh, progressing through um, secondary school and, and then becoming a, a YT, a, an apprentice to Birmingham. So, um, yeah, I started out at Langley. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm a local lad from Solihull and um, went through at, at Langley in front of the junior, then to the secondary school um, and sort of midway through my uh, secondary school so when I was 14, so it would be starting year 10, um, I signed schoolboy forms with with Birmingham City. Um, so I had two years then in year 10 through year 11, um, where then obviously I think it was two or three evenings a week. And obviously on a Sunday, um, I'd be playing and training with, with Birmingham alongside my schoolwork. So um, from there, I was fortunate enough then to uh, gain a, a YTS, an apprenticeship, uh, when I left school at 16. Um, and had a, a two-year then scholarship um, at Birmingham. And from there, that went on to um, a professional contract. Um, my career kicked off from there. So I ended up playing for, for Birmingham for, I think it was three or four years um, in the first team. Then I went to West Bromwich Albion for two years. Um, then on to Preston for four years. Um, and then I had an injury, uh, which kept me out of the game then for, for nearly a year. Uh, I'll probably talk about that uh, in depth a little bit. Um, managed to come through that and then ended up playing for Cheltenham Town, Northampton Town, Forest Green Rovers, and now currently at uh, Solly or Moor. So plenty of football clubs, uh, plenty of uh, memories and journeys along the way. Um, but yeah, obviously very, very uh, blessed and privileged to be able to say that I played professionally from from when I was 17 to where I am now currently at, at 37 so 20 years um, which you know I look back on and it seems to have gone in the, the blink of an eye but um, some fantastic memories some fantastic uh, friends along the way and um, yeah been very very privileged. So if we take it right the way back to the start, so um, you say you went to Langley School and you went to the infant junior and then um, secondary school. Tell us yeah. about your experience at school. Was was it always your um, was it always your goal to be a professional footballer? Did you have anything else in mind? Were you um, a one track mind focus on getting your uh, YTS or your scholarship and then becoming a footballer, or did you have a, another career option that you thought about? Um, I think from an early age, my uh, my dad played sort of semi-professional football, um, actually played for um, Moore Green as it was back then, Moore Green and Solly or Borough, uh, obviously both merged to make Solly or Moors of today. So um, I followed my dad sort of uh, his career uh, through non-league football. Um, 
from literally a, say, as soon as I could kick a ball. Um, so I always had football in my my DNA. Um, you know, everything I did, you know, related to football. So all through my school years and um, and then into secondary school, I you know always wanted to be a footballer. Um, I, I was very lucky. I think that uh, my mum and dad were were sort of very. Um, or made me very aware that school was very important. So I always really took um, a lot of care and uh, time in my schoolwork, uh, wanted to do as, as well as I possibly could academically, um, but also, you know, always in the back of my mind, it was it was football that I wanted to, to ultimately do. And uh, as I mentioned there, you know, when I was 14, um, going into year 10, um, I signed schoolboy forms. And that's when it sort of got a little bit more real for me that, there's a, a chance and a pathway for me to to progress into football and um you know them two years I think in year 10 and year 11 uh, balancing the schoolwork but also being very excited at the you know the chances I was getting then to train and, and play for Birmingham City as a schoolboy um you know at times uh, I think my mom and dad to rein me in a little bit from the football side to, to obviously focus on my my GCSEs and everything um but I ended up finishing school and I, I was pleased with with uh, how he finished and how you know how I've done in my GCSEs in the end. So how did you manage that? So we have some athletes at our school, not just footballers, we have some really talented gymnasts and dancers who are potentially training three or four hours a day after school. They're traveling to train, they're getting back, they're getting a night's sleep, we're preparing for school the next day. Uh, that's obviously very, very difficult. Um, I know some of our students get back at sort of one o'clock in the morning, they're back up for six, seven o'clock heading into school. How did you manage that? How did you manage the workload from sort of 14 onwards in terms of your GCSEs and then, um, you know, that excitement of, of potentially becoming a footballer in the future? Or how did your parents help that? How did they rein you in? Um, I think the, you know, obviously um, when I was at football and I was fully focused and engaged in that, um, but as you say, it was it was putting sort of getting a schedule together that allowed me to to obviously one get my rest from football, but um, gave me the time then to to study, um, to revise, and, and do everything I needed to for school. Um, so my parents were, were were great in that aspect. Um, but again, I think just sort of you know balancing me out and, and making me realise that. Um, Listen, this dream of being a footballer, um, yes, work as extremely hard as you possibly can to to fulfil that. But, um, you know, I've, I've been told through playing at Birmingham City and sort of been given the um, the ratios of, of kids who have gone on to to play and, and, and you know, um, playing the professional game um, are very low. So um, it was always made aware to me that, listen, you need to, to really focus at school and uh, make sure you do well in your exams because, you know, this football uh, dream ultimately, um, you know, might not happen. You know, and there's other things that can play into that injury. Um, you know, sometimes you can um, be unfortunate in that capacity or, um, you know, you, you get to a level and, you know, you may not progress how you want to. So, um, so yeah, I was always told that, um, you know, to to have a backup basically. So school and, and my exams were always going to give me that platform if football never never materialised. That's really interesting. And um, I want to build on that again a little bit more in terms of a lot of our students aren't in academy football. And I think they dream to get to academy football because they think it's this golden place where you play football all the time and you arrange your friends and you, you have little possession games and you go into matches. But it's obviously much more than that. And it is a very stressful environment and there's a lot of pressure. And um, it's not just the pressure, I think, of the of the individual, maybe it's family pressure, and they're hoping that one day you become a professional footballer and you almost take that sort of financial burden. They think, well, my son's made it or my daughter's made it. 
we can relax yeah. now. What's that pressure like in the academy? Because I know it's not this golden place where you just go for a kickabout with your mates. There's a lot of um, mm. pressure from coaches, analysts, family, mm. friends. How did you deal with that? And what's, how does that pressure um, sort of form itself? I think um, it's you put more pressure on yourself. I think, um, you know, uh, I think when you go into academies, everything is, is provided for you and, and the standard of coaching, the facilities. Um, so it's all there to help you uh, ultimately. Um, I think it's, it's important not to put too much pressure on yourself and, and just trusting, you know, what you're doing, um, trusting the process and, um, you know, not forgetting what's got you to that point. Um, if you are fortunate enough to get into an, an academy, you've obviously done, you know, something right before then you've worked extremely hard. And, um, so I think, you know, for me, again, I, I, I found it's, um, you know, family and friends were, were so encouraging and, um, and supported me so much. Even my friends at school, um, as soon as they knew I was, I was signed to Birmingham city, you know, they, you know, seen me as this, you know, professional already. Um, so that gave me an extra bit of confidence that, you know, I wanted to, um, to succeed and, um, and to go on in the game. So, um, I think, you know, with football, we all know that, you know, even at the highest level now, you know, there's a lot of pressure from fans, from from everything, from managers. But um, you're always best, you know, going back to what has got you there or has got you success. Um, and ultimately, they're, you know, they're, they're you know, non-negotiables for me. You know, hard work, your attitude, um, your sacrifices as well. That's a big thing, I think, for me, you know, coming through school and, and then ultimately leaving was the sacrifices I made, maybe not you know, going out with my mates um, or, um, you know, going to a, a house party or something like that, you know, I'd, I'd stay at home and prepare and, and rest and, and eat right, drink right, knowing that that was going to give me the best possible chance. So, um, yeah, trusting, trusting that the things, the fundamentals that, you know, ultimately are going to get you success. And staying on that topic in terms of, I think there's a lot of hidden challenges that uh, people from the outside don't see. So you're going from academy football at a young age, then going into that under 14s onwards environment where it's more pressurised and it's a yeah. lot more focused. And then you're going into either, uh, under 23s or reserve team football, then first team football. What what makes a difference? How, how, how did you make it? Um, and did you see potential um, peers or people in the team who were just as able, but maybe didn't have the right mindset? What What was the determining factor that allowed you to make it? in comparison to those who dropped away? I think ultimately the, the biggest thing thinking back, uh, and again, when I signed, um, when I left school and signed scholarship, um, two-year scholarship at Birmingham, I signed with seven other, seven, seven other uh, lads who I'd sort of come through at Birmingham with and known for a few years. Um, a couple of them from the Solihull area as well. So I knew them already. Um, and I think the biggest thing for me was distractions. I think when you um, are in that sort of environment um, and you, you're labelled with a football club, you know, what comes with that, you know, some attention and then from, from, from friends and family and everything else. Um, and it's just being able to, to know what is a, a good distraction and what isn't. Um, and I think I've seen a few, you know, people or a few lads fall away because, like I say, they, they you know, instead of sacrificing a, a Saturday night or a Friday night out with their mates at the pub or wherever it was, you know, they'd, they'd be lured into that. Um, whereas, you know, I opted to stay at home and, and focus on, right, when's my next game? When's my next training session? What do I need to prepare myself for that? You know, prepare my body. Um, 
So there's a lot of distractions that get thrown at you, and you know, and, and obviously now we're in a, an age where there's there's even more. Obviously, I, I grew up without social media and all that sort of stuff when I was 17, 18 year, years of age, and you know, there's a lot more distractions these days for you know for people to you know um, get lured away by. So um, it was just blocking them distractions and knowing what was was good for me and what wasn't. That's really interesting. Hopefully some of our students can hear that because I know they're in academies or not just football, they're, they're elite level gymnasts and they get into that age now where those distractions do play quite a big part and they are really tempting. And there's no mm -hmm. issue with maybe going to the odd one. Oh, no. It's, yeah. not, it's yeah. not getting carried away and knowing where your limits are. Um, and it. maybe even seeing somebody that you train with or someone in the team and think, well, they're not doing it. So why am I doing it? Um, yeah, I'm really trying to find a role model. Yeah, I think it's important just to say again, there's, there's, and that's what I mean by sort of knowing what the right distraction is. Sometimes you do need a break or you do need a release. Um, and like you say, that might be going and going out with your friends, but knowing the right times uh, or, you know, when is the right time to do that and not impacting ultimately your performance or if it's going to affect you um, in whatever sport you're doing. Uh, and sort of building on that, we talk about, we're talking at sort of elite sport at a young age. What is to you, what is talent at a young age? So I'm going to bring something up now, which made my, family's, my family really happy, made mm -hmm. me really happy. And you scored the determining penalty against mm -hmm. Norwich in the playoff final, and you were 18 years old. And I look at um, sort of some of our students, I think, would you be able to do that? Would you have the confidence in yourself? Would you have the determination and the ability to block out things around you and take that penalty knowing that, yeah, I'm going to score this. This is my sort of, this is my chance. What is what is talent to you at a young age? Because we see some footballers, and I've seen it as a Birmingham fan in probably the last six or seven years. Some players come through, and obviously I'm not going to mention names; it's not fair. Um, but I've watched them play for the first team. I think oh my God, you're you're unbelievably talented, mm -hmm. and now I don't know where that player's ended up. And I think they're only 21, 22. Yeah, and then I look at somebody like Bellingham coming through, and although he wasn't the finished product, he's obviously very good ability-wise, but he had the maturity. Um, he clearly fit in really well with a group of adults at 16 yeah. years old. Um, and yeah. what, what allowed you to fit into that first team environment, into that focused and professional environment at 18? Um, um, sorry, going back to that question, what is talent to you at a young age? What, um, apart from ability, what is talent? I think it's um, a few things. Um, and I'll start with attitude because um, that is the key. Um, you know, if your attitude is one and, and I felt I had this when I was sort of 17, 18 and I started to train with the first team and I was exposed to men's football. Um, you know, people are looking at you, especially if they're more experienced pros and managers and coaches. First thing they're looking at is, you know, your attitude. Are you willing to work hard? Are you, you know, willing to be humble with that? Um, you know, you're not getting ahead of yourself or, you know, there's no ego there. Um, because if you show that, you know, that right attitude, people, you know, want you to succeed. They want to help you. You know, they'll go that extra yard for you rather than if you're, you're this cocky, you know, young kid who, who thinks he's better than what he is. You know, sometimes people, that can push people away. And um, I felt like, you know, I just stayed humble through the process and, and just wanted to prove myself and prove that I was mature enough and that ultimately that I could contribute because um, when you're in a team environment, um, you know, you, you are part of a structure, you're part of the team. And, you know, for me, I didn't want to let the other guys down. Um, and I, you know, went into a, a dressing room uh, of players that had probably played together for, you know, the previous two, three seasons 
had um, had a lot of few disappointments in in finals and and all that. So you know, my mindset was right. I want to come in and try and help these guys get to the level where you know they've just fallen short at. Um, so it was again about proving myself, and that was all down to my attitude, my work ethic. Um, you know, and, and like I say, just staying humble with it. With it. Um, you know, not allowing. You know, yes. Um, you know, celebrate successes and, and wins and, and good performances. But ultimately, then don't get too down if, you know, your, your performance level has dropped slightly or you've lost a game. Um, and that's one big thing I always say to to young you know, footballers or, you know, young sports people in, in general is that, you know, it's a roller coaster ride and, um, you know, never get too high with the highs and lows with the lows and uh, always try and stay balanced in your emotions. Um, so I think, you know, for... You know, it is difficult when you're young because you're still learning and you need them experiences to learn from. Um, but, you know, embrace every experience, whether it's good or bad, because ultimately that will shape you then uh, as, a sport, as a sports person going forward. And I think we can sort of um, sort of expand on that a little bit. And it, I think it's the same in an academic sense where maybe some piece of coursework you get back, you've absolutely nailed. And you, we see it all the time. And then the next piece we move on to, there's people who have nailed the first one. They're above their target grade take that yep. step back and they go, oh, I, can, I can relax now a little bit. And it's like, God, if yep. you just put that effort in again for, for two months, you're going to be flying with your target grade. Then you can take your, your foot off the gas a little bit in the summer. You can relax a little bit. Mm. But I think it's trying to um, maybe, like you say, don't get too high with the highs. And then I think also don't get too low with the lows because I think we're in, I think the culture at the moment is if you get bad news or you get a bad result, it's the sort of bit of self-pity, a bit of wallowing saying, well, it's not fair. I, I didn't deserve that. Or the teacher's picking on me and that sort of stuff. And I've mentioned it in a previous episode that if we pick on something that you can improve on, it's not because we don't like you. We're not trying to be annoying and we're not trying to ruin your day. We're doing it because we, we know what they're capable of. And it's the same in sport. We know what people are capable of. Um, and maybe just taking it on the chin, learning from it. And then next time you, you don't get that wrong. Whereas I think if you take it personally, you don't learn on your mistakes and you don't get any better. Um, I always say to the, the kids at school that, when I did my A-levels, I got two C's and two U's, um, which was a massive shock. And I should have seen it coming. I look back and I should have known about it. But um, I made that phone call to my dad, which was like the worst phone call ever. I've got two C's. Okay, what else? Two U's. And then a bit, bit of a telling off. Um, but I sort of, I moved on from it quite quickly because I, well, I had to, I think. I think you, 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 when you get to sort of 17, 18, you sort of realise you have to move on. I re-enrolled at the college did them again um my friends were all a year above which is really embarrassing but at the mm. end of the day it's what you've got to do and I think if I'd have gone into self-pity and I missed the cutoff point for the college I'd have missed that opportunity and potentially wouldn't have ended up being a PE teacher I could have done something else but my goal was always to be a PE teacher um and by not taking those two years personally I re-enrolled moved on and, and ended up where I needed to be um on, the, so on that topic, I, I listened to a podcast the other day with um, Sean, Sean Dyche and Jay Humphries, and he's very old school, but he was saying that uh, some of the academy kids around, around the, the training ground, his opinions made of them almost instantly with that maturity and that attitude by just saying good morning. Um, maybe talking, if you've got headphones in, take them out when you're talking to somebody because it is rude. And it, it's that first interaction, that first opportunity to, to set a good um a good image of yourself and wouldn't you've had that first chance you've missed it you've missed the boat and we see it in school we can go and stand in the dinner queue and see how somebody talks to one of the dinner ladies and are you friendly are you polite are you saying thank you please that sort of thing or are you saying i want that that got it and go you can tell somebody's personality and maturity just by that i think um 
leading on from that, you've obviously had, we, we touched on it earlier, that 20 year professional career. What has allowed you to have that career? Because I think um, uh, uh, sort of the biggest star maybe of English football in the last 20 years, Wayne Rooney, he was at 31 and he almost got to the end of his career. And yeah, maybe that is from playing at a young age and working really hard. But is it through, um, is it genetically or is it his attitude, what he was doing off the pitch in the pre-season? Um, you know, he worked really hard. I can't, not want to, I can't say that, but I think he, he may have had a, let himself go a little bit during mm. pre-season times. What's helped you have that 20-year career playing professional football? I think it's, you know, it's a physical and mental thing. Um, I think physically, I've always prided myself on um, being as fit as I can be. And um, you mentioned their pre-season is always the, probably the toughest part physically of any season. Uh, and it's the beginning as well. So you're setting sort of a foundation, a base, if you like, to go um, for the whole season. Um, and, you know, just give myself the best possible chance physically. Um, and, you know, just enjoying that, enjoying the hard work, enjoying the... You know the the tough running sessions, the tough gym sessions. Um, you know I loved all that. Um, you know I loved the challenge of that. Uh, and then mentally, just you know again, um, things we've just talked about there. You know not allowing myself to get carried away or allowing myself to get too low with different things, um, and just trying to stay on a balance. You know, and I think you mentioned it there that um, you know when you do have success, you know don't just you know sit back then and, and enjoy it. It's right. How can I get better? Um, and that's one thing as my career has progressed um, is then, you know, how can I be better each day and, and treating every training session as, right, I'm going in today, I'm going to, you know, focus on this, I want to get better at this. Uh, and by the end of that day, coming away and going, you know what, I've, I've you know, got a little bit better today, it only might be that little half percent or whatever it is, but I've got better. Um, I think when you drive, that, that ultimately then drives you um, on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, you know, and um, and sort of taking the small steps. Yes, have a goal in mind, but you know, don't be thinking you have to get there so quickly. It's a you know a, an ongoing process, a journey. So, I've took that approach to my career, um, and you know, it seems now to to have sort of held me in really good stead. I still feel very good physically, mentally. I felt you know I feel as strong as as anything. I think if you ask any you know footballer or, or sports sports person, when you you know as you get older, the experiences that you have. Um, you know, it does, like I say, it shapes you and, and ultimately makes you, you know, tougher and stronger uh, for all the experiences. So, um, again, it's, you know, it's, it's learning every day, um, being open again to, to adapting. So as I've got older, I've had to adapt my training regime a little bit and, you know, my diet as well. I went vegan sort of four years ago now, um, just to, I was looking at different ways how I could, you know, keep myself um, going and as healthy as possible. Um, so yeah, so, you know, that was probably one of the biggest things just going back on it was, you know, as I got older, obviously as I was younger, I was, you know, I could do all these things and probably turn up to train and go straight out and train. Whereas, you know, as the years have gone on, I've had to do more and more prehab stuff and go in the gym probably an hour before training, stretching and yoga and all sorts of stuff. So I think just looking at, at ways to, to again, keep improving and uh, making sure that you, you know, you've, you're giving yourself your body you know, and your mind, the best possible chance of, of a, a prolonged career. So you've mentioned there, one of the themes you've mentioned is adapting. And, and you've mentioned earlier as well, the clubs that you've played for, you've, you've worked under different coaches, different managers, um, mm. even just on the pitch, playing in front of different referees. And you have to adapt the way you play or maybe the way you speak to them because you, get, mm. you begin to know them and you have an understanding of, 
understanding of them, sorry. What do you see um, in referees, in coaches, managers? What's the difference between those who are sort of running the club and those um, who have the final say in training and formations and that sort of thing, between those that succeed and those that fail? Because I think um, we hear it all the time and it's been similar at Blues with Pep Clotet, people saying he's a brilliant assistant manager, but did he have it as a manager? And there was a, a guy at Wolverhampton a, a few years ago, and I can't remember his name at all, but they said he was an excellent number two, but did he have it to be number one? And um, mm. we have some of our students at school doing GCSE PE, Cambridge National Sports Studies and A-level PE that might realise now that they've missed the boat to be a professional footballer, a professional sports person, but they want to get into coaching. They want to get into officiating, physiotherapy, sports science, fitness coaching, that sort of thing. What's yeah. the difference in those roles between those that you've seen do a really good job and they've inspired you and they've made you enjoy mm. training and maybe those that you've thought, oh, what have you thought about those that um, didn't have what it takes? I think it comes down to a lot of the things we've, we've already mentioned and, and you go, uh, I know you mentioned about the, the high performance podcast that you listen to with Sean Dyche and, um, you know, I listened to that as well and, and I thought it was really great that, um, I mean, I'm old enough to say that I actually played against Sean Dyche when I was younger. So um, that shows probably uh, my age a little bit. But um, it's, again, how you come across and how you portray yourself. Um, I think the, the the best managers I've worked under, and, and even now you look at, you know, your Pep Guardiola's, your, your Jurgen Klopp's, um, Sean Dyche, I'm mentioning that as well, and, and Brendan Rodgers. Um, they're all uh, people that... Um, know I think how to, to man manage and, and, and how to people manage um, so know how to speak to you on a level you know form a, a relationship with you and ultimately inspire you then to to think that right this this person has my best interests at heart this person wants to make me better this person wants me to succeed um, and I've always found that you know the, the best coaches and managers are those that you know inspire that in you or instill that in you um, and I think we're all, you know, the same, aren't we? If you, if it's a teacher or whoever it is, even if it's a friend, um, you know, who, who speaks to you and uh, and you know constantly, you know, wants you know positive with you and wants you to be better and wants you to do this, calls you out maybe sometimes when you, you're not doing what you you should be doing. Um, you know, they're the ultimately the people that are going to make you succeed and help you. So, um, coaches, managers, and even referees. Uh, you know, I know they get sort of a bad rap, and um, you know they will frustrate me from time to time. But you know, I've always found the best referees are the ones you can you can you can talk to, you can communicate to um, in, in the right manner. So, um, I think that goes back then to, to what Sean Dyche was saying as a young player. That's one of the things now a lot of coaches and managers are looking at. You know how you. You know, portray yourself, how you communicate to others. Um, you know, are, are you ignorant? If, you, if you're ignorant or you don't say good morning or you shy away, um, you know, that can come off as, well, you know, I'm a bit arrogant or, you know, I'm a bit, you know, I'm not approachable. Um, so that, yeah, the, the best people I've worked with in sport have always been those that, um, you know, have, have instilled in me or given me um, the idea from the outset that ultimately they're there to help me and, and make me better. And obviously I think you mentioned it, obviously being a teacher, that's your, that's your job is to, is to, to teach people to make them better, um, understand things uh, and ultimately, you know, help them succeed. Yeah. And I like to think I do try that. I like to try and think I speak to somebody on a level and sometimes it works and sometimes yeah. it doesn't because everyone's different and they appreciate different approaches. Um, you're saying that you've been coaching for four years. Um, and so you, wh where did you start? What level did you start at coaching? 
So uh, it was first when I came to to Solihull and um, they asked me to to coach in the academy or the um, football and education scheme that, that we've got. Um, so again, that was with our um, uh, players that left, uh, just gone to college. So uh, from 16 to 18. Um, so in my second year, I've done that for a year. In my second year, I was actually uh, academy manager for a year. So I overseen the whole programme um, uh, and that, you know, it was a day-to-day -day thing. So I'd be training with the first team football in the morning and then in the afternoon, I'd be across at the college then coaching um, the, the the team or, you know, the the group. Um, as I say, it was all 16 to 18-year-olds. Um, so that was my sort of um, way in and uh, I've done sort of my um, level two, my B licence. Uh, I'm hopefully now going to be doing my, my UAFL A licence very soon. Um, but then this year, been sort of incorporated into me um sort of not retiring from playing but you know sort of transitioning from playing now into into coaching I've been able to do it at a first team level um all this season with with Solio Moore so um it's been great that I've sort of progressed from sort of 16 year 18 year olds now up into the first team um mix and um you know one thing that uh, I wanted to to see first of all was if I enjoyed it you know, and, and I've loved the fact that I've been able to relay my experiences uh, to, to to young lads and now to obviously the first team at Solihull and, and help them on their journey. You know, again, obviously I'm, I'm 37 now and um, the career I've had, I can, you know, there's some experiences I've had that they haven't. So how I got through them, how I dealt with them. Um, and then obviously then, you know, honing and, and developing myself as a coach then and, and all the things we've talked about, my communication, you know, my, my sessions, how, you know, how I get my message across. Um, so, yeah, I've loved it. So the four years have been a, a, a real progression, really, and I've uh, felt like I've developed now into um, hopefully what people could say, uh, you know, a decent enough coach. And how was that transition? I imagine it's quite quite difficult to go from all of a sudden being one of the lads and, and playing in the first team to all of a sudden coaching the first team. And our students, obviously, it's not on the same level, but in Cambridge National Sports Studies, they go from um, being as part of the group and then they have to lead a session to their own peers, which yeah. is extremely daunting. Some some students naturally, they're absolutely fine, but that's probably 10% of, of a class, whereas everybody yeah. else naturally is worried, is taken back. It's the thought of standing up in front of your, your friends and not laughing and getting the giggles and that sort of thing. Um, how was it for you, that transition from uh, all of a sudden coaching the players that you play with still and those mm. that you played with maybe last season? How did you find that? Well, I've, I've had it sort of both ways this year. As I mentioned, I've transitioned, so I hadn't actually retired from playing this year. So I've gone from at times this year coaching to then actually playing in games. So um, I am sort of the in-between a little bit this year. And um, I think from, from a personal level, um, it's difficult sometimes because obviously, as I've mentioned or probably through this podcast already, I've you know um, geared myself up and give myself every possible chance to be the best player I can be. Um, but I think also, you know, I, I want to do that on the coaching side. So I've had to sort of, you know, flick, to, flick back and forth, if you like. So that was a little bit of a challenge, um, you know, again, putting my schedule together to make sure that one, I'm focusing on my coaching side, but also, you know, being prepared physically and as a player, just in case I'm called upon. And um, the one thing, again, I think that, you know, to to answer your question about sort of how that, you know, relate to, to the players that I've played with and alongside. Um, I think it's just how I've, I've carried myself as a player, you know, as an experienced um, 
a player in the team. You know, I've always tried to be a bit of a leader. And again, like I mentioned, trying to pass on my experiences. They, you know, they know that I've obviously played in the game a long time. And, you know, that's, you know, even the 30-year-olds or if it's an 18-year-old that's in our squad, um, you know, it's, I mean, he's half my age of the 18-year-old. So, um, you know, trying to help him when I'm on the pitch or playing alongside him. Um, you know, isn't really too different then from when I'm a coach. I'm still trying to help them and, and, and develop them. Um, and again, you know, make them be the best that they can be. And because um, ultimately, if they succeed, I succeed. So, um, so yeah, I think it's, it's been a, a seamless one just because I think that, you know, I've always been open uh, to, to communicate to people um, and, and let people know that if I'm a player or if I'm a coach, you know, come and speak to me, come and pick my brains on anything. Um, you know, I'll always chat and, and, and give you my experiences and my advice. Um, so in that sense, I think it was, it's been quite, quite seamless really. And, you know, the, the, the players and the lads know what I'm about, um, you know, and I haven't really changed too much other than I've put on a different coaching, coaching kit. Um, and obviously now I'm, I've got a whistle and stop watching my hand. I think uh, one of the themes that's gone through this whole sort of chat that we've had is that professionalism, because I think if you if you were to go into that situation, being somebody who doesn't push himself, doesn't look after himself, doesn't listen to the coaches, um, doesn't listen to those around you, and then all of a sudden you want that respect and you're telling people to do things that you didn't do or you've yes. never done, they're going to throw it back in your face, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. I want to sort of go back and cover your career as a whole now. Any challenges that you've overcome? You mentioned one. A little bit earlier in terms of an injury um how yeah. did you overcome it? what was the what was the challenge how did it affect you and how did you overcome it well uh, i mentioned uh, i was at preston so I'd, I'd been at preston for four years and um i was coming to the end of my contract and um it was uh, at the time and, and with how football is um i was going to stay at preston but there was some issues with what was going on there financially. Um, so I ended up going and training back at, at Birmingham City. Um, and then I trained at a couple of other clubs, Brighton. Uh, and then Nottingham Forest asked me to go to play in a game, uh, just a training game for them so they could have a look at me and potentially about me signing there. Um, and I played in that game. And I mentioned, I think, right at the outset, um, you know, about sort of, you know, again, you need some fortune and some luck on your, in, on your journey. Um, I tore my adductor in my groin literally about a minute before half-time, uh, tore the muscle off the bone, um, which ultimately was a, a, an operation and a four-month, four was about four-and-a-half-month layoff. Um, I was out of contract at the time, so I wasn't earning any money. Um, and, I mean, I don't know um, if you know too much, obviously, about the PFA, which is the Players Football Association. They um, took care of me and helped me out to get my operation and then all my... Um, sort of duty of care, my rehab and stuff. And Birmingham City were great with that as well. I went in and, and done my prehab with them and also my rehab with them. Um, so I think, you know, ultimately from that experience, one was was getting injured when I was, again, in a position where I potentially could have signed at Nottingham Forest, uh, could have gone back to Preston um, or even at, at Birmingham City. I could have potentially gone back there. Um, the injury obviously put paid to that. Um, I was then, you know, focusing on, getting myself rehabbed and getting myself back uh, to fitness. I'd never had, you know, a, a serious injury before that. I'd never experienced or had to go through that. Um, and I think the best way I can describe it was that I'd been inside football from, as I say, when I was 16, when I left school. Um, all of a sudden I was 27, 20, turning 28. Um, and it was the first time I was like, felt like I was on the outside looking in. Um, and it gave me a real sort of appreciation for, for one, 
you know, the career that I had um, and being, you know, what it meant to be into football, uh, being in football. Um, but also, you know, I fell back then on, right, what had got me to this point, um, you know, the hard work, you know, the hours and, you know, in the gym when, you know, there's no one there, you know, the hours on the football field when all the lads have gone home, you know, I'm doing my rehab, I'm doing my running, I'm doing all my, my prep stuff and my strengthening. Um, so there was a lot of lonely hours, but ultimately in my mind, you know, I looked at the career I'd had up to then um, and I wanted more, you know, so I was only 27, 28. So I knew that I could have another second half of my career if I did all the right things now, did everything that the physios were telling me to do. Um, and also ultimately having that mindset that, um, you know, I want another half of what I've just had. You know, I've had a, you know, I had a good 10 years or so before that, you know, I want another, you know, nine or 10 if I can after that. So um, that drove me on uh, and ultimately that experience you know, getting back playing and then going back and signing at Cheltenham and playing professionally again, um, it gave me such a buzz. That first game back after injury and signing at a football club, um, you know, it was rewarding for all the hard work I'd put in. You know, yes, there was times when I was I was a bit down or, or whatever, but, um, you know, realising that the hard work ultimately got me my, to, to my rewards um, and, again, trusting in everything that I'd known before then, what got me to that level. Um, and it's, you know, um, meant that I've had another really, you know, sort of long, another 10 years in the game um, and has led now to me staying in the game through coaching capacity. So, um, you know, that for me, you know, and I always look at successful people within football or within sport um, and you, we've all had adversity at, at some stage, you know, and, and I kind of like that, you know, I wouldn't want my career to just gone smoothly. I'd, I'd, I'd like to have a bit of adversity because that's another thing that we look at. I think as a coach now for me personally and looking at young players is, you know, how do they react to adversity? How do you react to, you know, something going against you or um, that's a big thing. That's a, a real big character, character trait for me personally because I think that tells, you know, shows a lot about you. Um, you know, you take a knockback, but can you then come back and, you know, have that determination and that grit between your teeth to to write, you know, that's not going to deter me. So um, that's kind of the, the mindset I was in. And as I say, I, you know, I feel really proud of myself, you know, you know, to that I got through that period and ultimately got myself back playing. It's quite interesting that you mentioned that in terms of what you look for now in a coach. And I think, um, I don't want to bore any of the students listening, but there was a study recently done in Sweden where they had um, a group of students do maths questions and they had 20 and 20 very high achieving, very sort of really mm. struggled with the subject. Um, and they told the high achievers, you're brilliant, you're amazing, complete the test. Um, and they completed their test. And they told those who potentially didn't get on with maths, um, the, the sort of benefit of struggle and how struggle helps form character and it forms those sort of attributes that you have which can get you on later in life and then when they actually did the test yeah that those high achievers in the first half of the test the easy half they flew through it got everything correct those sort of the low achievers struggled on that first half but then when they got to the second half the high achievers who couldn't answer the really hard questions gave up and yeah. those that had been taught that this this is actually it character building it's going to build that sort of mentality to help you when you're older had a go at the questions yeah. i don't think there was much difference between who got what's right because i think they were too hard to answer but they gave them a go and i think that yeah. we see it as teachers you see it throughout your career if, you, if you're going to work hard and you're going to um, put that maximum effort in and go out the way to impress people and even if you get it wrong or you can't do it giving mm -hmm. it a go um yeah. really yeah. helps and you, you see um 
taking it back to sport, uh, I think I saw pre-season training with Liverpool this year that James Milner was the fittest again. Yeah, and he's obviously yeah. so determined to keep pushing and pushing and pushing. Mm. And I think he's he's a sort of character that even if he was to drop out, he'd only drop out when he's done. He's yeah. not going to drop yeah. out because he's a bit tired. He's not going to drop yeah. out because calf's gone a bit tight. He's going to push mm. himself to the limit. Um, mm. In terms of your uh, rehab, do you think it was your mentality and that that strength and that knowledge that you've been there before? You've had you've had that career and you want some more and you're, you're determined to yeah. get that. Um, what do you think, did, did short-term goals help you, medium-term, long-term goals? Did you have those in place? So we talk about that in GCSEP in terms of goal setting. Was that something that helped you? Yeah, certainly. Uh, and I think I'm, you know, I mentioned it earlier on, didn't I, that um, my target was obviously to get back to full fitness and to um, ultimately sign then uh, back at a professional club. Um, but, you know, I understood that, you know, I had benchmarks. So, you know, at first it was... To, um, to strengthen the muscle after I had the initial operation. I actually had a setback with that. I got an infection and that sort of set me back another few weeks. But, um, you know, just having different, you know, markers to hit. So first was to strengthen the muscle. Then it was to, you know, do my stretching and, and, and build that up then into some running, uh, then into sprinting. So each, each section I'd sort of, you know, tick it off and go, right, I'm here. Um, this is the next block. Um, because like I said, if you if you look at the sort of the four month period from when I first did it, you know, that was ultimately very daunting and, and again mentally I think would would would, would drain you. So you, I think it's it's important to go, right, what's my first marker? Where do I need to hit first? Once you've hit that, right, brilliant, tick that off. What's my next little block? And then before you know it, all of a sudden you're along that journey. Um and I, you know, I was literally into, you know, a couple of weeks from being back. Uh, to full fitness so you know ultimately that four month four month four and a half month period didn't really feel looking back feel like that long because like I say I just literally got my head down and set the markers along the way so um yeah you know and, and the one thing I, I, I try and say now to people more than anything is enjoy the journey um you know I've been very fortunate in my career to have some successful seasons you know that have ended in promotion and and, and winning things um and yes, it's great to have the the, you know, the adulation and the party after. But when you really look back, you, you know, you end up at these parties talking about what about when we played this game or what about this journey or what about... So it's the whole season that you actually look back and think that was that was it. That was the enjoyment. That was the reward, you know, us going through that process. Um, so yeah, embrace it. Enjoy that journey. Um, yes, it's nice to have a big party at the end of it, um, but ultimately, all you end up talking about then is what you've just done, what you've achieved. So, always remember, yeah, when you're on that path or on that journey, you know, embrace it and enjoy it. I think that's really, um, really applicable to school as well. Because I look back and I did quite well in my GCSEs, but I don't look back and go, I'm really happy with this in maths or that in English. Yeah. I look back and think, I remember that time at, at lunch that we played football and you did this. Remember that time in PE you did this. Remember that time in science you did this. And you remember all those little bits where, to be fair, the end goal, although it takes you on to the next step, college, whatever, sixth form, you look yeah. back at the experience you had and you, you, you miss it really. I don't know, I look back and I miss school massively because yeah. I really enjoyed the socialising and that sort of thing. Um, to finish with then, do you have any advice you want to give? And not necessarily to people who are going to be professional sports people, but working in professional sport, coaching, physiotherapy, sports, nutrition, um, anything like that. What advice would you give? Um, I think it's sort of a combination of, of, of what I've said, really, is that, um, you know, don't get deterred by setbacks, you know, adversity. Um, 
you know, ultimately embrace it. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a big one for, I like to read a lot of um, books, you know, uh, on people that have, you know, in, in all range in different um, sports or in, in um, different professions. Um, I'm a big podcaster as well, um, where I listen to a lot of people's, like you say, you mentioned Sean Dyche and, you know, listen to their journeys. Um, and ultimately, you know, the, the one thing that's refreshing is to hear when they went through these times, you know, of, of adversity or setbacks and, you know, not to, to get down on yourself. Yes, you may have some, um, some negative thoughts along the way, but ultimately just look at the, the target you've got, um, uh, and, you know, and whether that's, you know, as you say, going into to whatever profession it is, um, you know, no, don't get deterred by the setbacks, embrace it and, and think, right, this experience ultimately, whether it's good or bad, is going gonna, is gonna to help me. Um, it's going to make me stronger. It's going to make me, it's give me that experience, that life experience, um, uh, you know, and, and keep, keep working towards whatever it is you are working to, um, you know, don't give up. And cause I think that's the, the ultimate thing, you know, for me anyways, you know, if I look back and think I didn't really give that a hundred percent, um, you know, that's ultimately the, the, the feeling I really don't like. Um, so if I've set myself a challenge and, you know, I've given it absolutely everything, um, you know, I can, you know, whether I get there or not, you know, I can sit back and go, you know what, I gave that everything might even might not have meant to, to be for me. You know, there's something else now that will, will be. Um, so, yeah, that's my, my big message really is to, you know, embrace the challenges, embrace the adversity, because uh, ultimately that's what will, will build you then and give you the strength um, and experience to, to progress um, down another path. And I hope that sort of after hearing that our students over the last sort of 18 months, 24 months, it's been really difficult because they've, yeah. they've faced a lot of adversity. They've faced two lockdowns, been away from friends, no routine, maybe worries about academic things, worries about their own sport because they've not been playing. They've not been playing as much um, and they can take that and sort of apply it to their own um, lives. Really, I just want to say thank you for giving up your time this evening. I know you're obviously really busy with sort of running two two careers, really two professions at the same time. Um, and obviously I thank you on behalf of our students. And then if any of the schools pick this up uh, on behalf of them too. So yeah, thank you for this evening. Again, a massive thank you to Darren Carter for joining us on this episode. If you've enjoyed this, please check us out on social media. There's five other episodes available at the moment, talking to those who want to share their mental health experiences, talking to elite athletes and talking to those who have worked in elite sport.